Take your Bibles with you. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Um, so, I've been away for the last three uh, Sundays, uh, preparing uh, diligently for 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, we're going to wrap it up the next time that we're together, Lord willing. But uh, this morning, um, after getting ready yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening, uh, I woke up and I, I was drawn to this uh, chapter. And then I looked through my outlines from earlier this year and my notes, and I thought, well, I've taught this in Sunday school, I've taught this on Wednesday nights already this year, and I folded it back up and put it away and got all of my other notes back out, and I have them all there right here, just so you know that I'm not lying to you. I've got them all. They're ready to go, highlighted and everything, National Trail Orange for, uh, no, anyway. And I didn't feel, didn't feel right this morning, but I have never, uh, in nine years now of preaching and teaching on Sunday morning, I have never changed what I was going to do. Um, and then Steve turned to Proverbs chapter 3, and I thought, man, I, uh, maybe I should be sensitive to, to making a change this morning. And then Casey stood up and said he was going to read from Proverbs chapter 3, and I said, okay, Lord, I can take a hint, then we'll just go to Proverbs chapter 3. Um, by the testimony of two or three witnesses, I'll uh, submit. And so we will hit 1 Corinthians chapter 7 next week. Um, I uh, mercifully am not going to take on the whole chapter. Uh, I think it would be good to do that, but not this morning. We're going to look at the first six verses, and I promise to be brief and sensitive to our very busy schedule because I want to allow the proper time for an observance of the Lord's Supper uh, so let's begin reading then. We'll read verses 1 through 6, and then we'll discuss, discuss them in an outline of three points. Verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you, Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. That's as far as we'll go. Um... It's a bit emotional uh, for me. Obviously, I have a daughter who was up here on the stage. And I can't get away from the context of Proverbs. And that is Solomon, uh, a father, speaking to his son. Solomon himself, no stranger to error and failure. And uh, now writing pleadingly towards his own children. Yes, I would imagine so but also in the spirit of God uh, towards all of his people, what he believes is important. And the rest of the chapter is, is just, it's just a beauty. It, is, it beautifully unfolds verse one. It is, it's amazing. You know, in, in verse two, it says, peace will be added to you. If you get to 
to um, uh, verses 21 through 31. It's talking about, about peace. Verse 24, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Verse 25, no trouble from the wicked when it comes will, will cause terror upon you. Why? For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. It's just a beautiful chapter. And really the opening verses are the, the launching point for Solomon's writing here. And that's all we have time for this morning. So we'll, we'll look at the opening verses. I would call the first two verses a call to remember. A call to remember. He says, you know, kind of pleadingly, you can hear it in his voice. You know, it's one thing to say, don't forget this. But when you begin, my son, do not forget. You can see he's calling upon the intimacy of a relationship. If you, if you value my relationship, if you value me as a father, if you value anything of what I have to say, my son, do not forget my law. Um, David, uh, on a rooftop, uh, forgot, forgot the law of God. Abraham, in a foreign land, with a wife who was beautiful, and a place he was afraid of, forgot, forgot the law of God. You know, Peter in a courtyard forgot the law of God. Um, and here Solomon, as perhaps only an older man, surely an adult, can reflect on, recognizes that in the transition from youth to adulthood, there will be countless opportunities to simply lose track, to simply forget, to simply get distracted, and to forget the precious and tender law of God. You can forget in a, in a restaurant with a group of business leaders when you've been invited to sit down and have dinner with them. You could forget the law of God. You could lose yourself. You could forget on a, on a date. You could forget in a car. You, forget, you could forget caught up in a moment of ambition at a conference at a... And he's pleading, my son, do not forget the law of God. There will be times in your life when everything will just be buzzing around you, when you will seem as if you have never been further away from a church sanctuary, from a fellowship of believers, when no one is watching and when no one will see and there will be opportunity to compromise, to, to speak differently, to act differently, to be differently. Don't forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. It's really a difference between being a child and being an adult. Whether or not obedience comes just on the fear of discipline or whether or not one's heart has really been persuaded that the laws they've been given are precious. I was in the high school, Sunday school class this morning and I used the silly example of, of brushing your teeth and, and grew from there. But when you're a child, you do things because you're obeying. You're not carefully contemplating them. You do them because you're told. You remember because you're told you are who you are at the instruction of someone else. And when you become an adult, it's very different. 
you are who you are because your heart is what it is. And what's in your heart is in your heart. And so in Solomon's plea, do not forget my law, he makes the case that in order to remember God's law, my instructions are going to have to become an innate, valuable, crucial part of who you are. Let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. This gets picked up again in uh, verses 11, verses 12, verses 13. Verse 8 says, It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Again, this is a launching point into God's wisdom. We don't, we don't preach a health and wealth prosperity gospel here, but it is undeniably so that keeping and, and holding the laws of God as precious to you will be good for your life. They will not lead to undue suffering apart from God. His first call then is to remember. I would ask that all of the graduates this morning determine in their heart that they will not forget what they have been taught concerning the law of God. That they won't lose sight of it in a moment. That they won't be led away like a beast with a hook through its nose into something else. Verse 3, point number 2, how then should we live? How should we live? If Number 1 is a call to remember, living is what is in focus in verses 3 and 4. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Two things, mercy and truth. Two very broad words. You notice the language forsake you. When we say that something might forsake you, we're talking about something that might wander away, something that might turn its back on you. And so it kind of sounds like, let not mercy and truth forsake you. It kind of sounds like mercy and truth are two things that will wander away from you. But of course, the opposite is true. Mercy and truth are divine characteristics, and the wandering that's done is on our end. We are wandering away from them. But from our perspective, as we wander away, it will seem like these things have escaped us. These things have, I used to be like this, I used to think like this, I used to feel like this, and now not so much anymore. Don't let mercy and truth wander away. That's the idea. Let them not forsake you. Don't let your life get far away from these two principles. Mercy, I would call compassion. I would even go so far as to say love. Uh, mercy and love are almost synonymous in the way they're used in the New Testament. Jesus was merciful to his disciples. He was merciful to the people who he knew were in rejection of him, and yet he fed them anyway, he healed them anyway, he taught them anyway. Jesus was merciful to the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman, who was there by herself because of her own sin. Truth is certainly a catch-all for all that's true, and yet it becomes, as we get further into Proverbs chapter 3, and as we get into the New Testament, almost an exclusive reference for God's salvation. Jesus using it of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Truth then certainly is talking about all that is true, 
and yet divinely it takes on the characteristic of God's plan of salvation. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. What should you do with them then? How do you keep them from wandering away? How do you live a life of compassion, a life of love, a life of mercy, and a life dedicated to the salvation of God, what he's declared to be right and true? Well, there are two instructions in verse 3. One, bind them around your neck. Uh, this morning, I saw a young man. I won't use his name because I don't want to embarrass him. He's too young for me to embarrass him. But I saw something, a young man in the congregation and he, was, uh, he had something bound around his neck. And I said, oh, what's this? And he took it out and it was, a, it was a replica ring from Lord of the Rings dangling around his neck. And I said, that's interesting. And, uh, and he said, yep, it's from Lord of the Rings. And I, so uh, I don't know if he just really likes the movie, if it, it's metaphorical for something or if he's preparing a trip to Mordor, but he's got a ring fastened around his neck and we put things around our Next, that we consider precious, to borrow Lord of the Rings language, or beautiful. We keep them close. We adorn ourselves with jewelry. I don't, but others do. When he says, bind mercy and truth around your neck, he's calling out to his son, make these the two characteristics that you adorn yourself with in the world around you. People may look at you and they may take their measure of you and they may not see a great athlete. They may not see a really intelligent person. They may not see somebody that they admire for their, their great abilities or capabilities. But when people look at you, aspire to have them recognize loving, merciful, gracious, compassion, divine mercy, and divine truth. Let them be the outward characteristics that you are devoted to displaying to the world. And then the second instruction is very different. Write them on the tablet of your heart. One is very external. Bind them around your neck. One is very internal. We're not simply trying to convince people that we are merciful while inherently harboring thoughts of selfishness, frustration, anger, discontentment. But while we display them on the outside, we should internally be going through the exercise of writing these traits upon who we are as a person, what goes on in here, what we feel, and we should be measuring our reactions and our responses to people. Is that right? Was this good? Did what come out of my mouth, as the Lord cautions, and proceeded from my heart, as the words of Jesus, did that reflect a heart that has been imprinted with divine mercy and divine truth, or are mercy and truth forsaking me, Bind them around your neck. Write them on your heart. Verse 4 is really interesting. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Now, there's one way to read that verse and say, there is no way that making divine love and certainly 
redemption truth, saving truth, there's no way to make those two characteristics, both your external and internal markers of your life, and gain favor in the sight of men. Sure, gain favor in the sight of God, like it says, but the sight of man, there's no way to do that. I mean, a lot of people are not going to like it when you present yourself that way. But I don't think that's what he's saying. I think in verse 4, when he says, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man, I think he is actually cautioning against something else. In other words, I think what he's saying is, make this, covering yourself in mercy and truth, make this the way you go about earning favor in the sight of God and man. This is how you pursue that. Not all of the other ways that people wrap themselves up in gaining favor in the sight of God and man. Not my high profile profession or my, my, my great strategy, my wonderful thinking, my tremendous loyalty. You know, all those things may be fine in and of themselves, but don't pursue a good name before God and a good name before the world in other ways. Pursue a good name before God and a good name before men this way, by making yourself by committing yourself to be a person of mercy and truth, divine mercy, divine truth. And so I'd say verses three and four is how we should live. There may be plenty of men that don't like me. There may be a lot of people that don't approve of me. Okay, fair enough. But let it not be because I was trying to gain their favor or their approval in any other way but this one. If they don't like me, let it be because they're sick and tired of the love and the mercy and the compassion of God in my life. If they don't like me, let it be because they're sick and tired of hearing the good name of Jesus Christ on my lips. If they don't like me, let it be because I'm in pursuit of the favor of God in another way. My son, do not forget my law. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. And then third, verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I'd argue the first part of verse 7 also goes with this, where it says, do not be wise in your own eyes. But let's just focus on 5 and 6 for a minute. Notice the comprehensiveness of these two verses. I would, I would say these verses are a call to believe or a call to faith. So remember, live, believe, or, or faith. But notice how comprehensive they are. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does that mean? Well, it obviously stands in juxtaposition to trusting in the Lord with some of your heart. Right? I mean, he's writing to God's people here. It's assuming they trust in the Lord to some degree. But what he is calling, what Solomon is calling his people to, what he is imploring to his son is that they go beyond some partial measure and actually when they consider their relationship with God, when they consider their relationship with the Heavenly Father, aspire to trust in the Lord completely. Verse 6, in 
all your ways acknowledge him. It's assumed that you would in some way, but he is pleading for more than that. In all your ways, let there be no part of your life that is outside the bounds of the evaluation. What would you have me do, Lord? In a way, 1 Corinthians 7 will be a wonderful help with this because if you remember, you don't have to turn there. We'll, we'll be there next week. If you remember, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is being asked questions and he's trying to answer them. Now there are not that many things more intimidating in life than getting up in front of a bunch of people and doing a question and answer when they could ask anything and he has been asked about some sensitive stuff in 1 Corinthians 7. About who we should marry and if we should marry and divorce and relationships and fathers and, and, and children and it's sensitive stuff. And he's faithfully trying to answer these questions. And as he is, is weeding through the depths of very personal questions in a very public way, it's, it's really interesting to watch Paul think. Think, because that's what questions force you to do, right? You gotta think, right? How am I gonna answer this? Well, let me see. And then you think. How does Paul think? Over and over again in that chapter, he's answering something very practical. For instance, in verse 28, he says this, even if you do marry, you have not sinned. How is he thinking about this? What sin? What would be sin? What would be evil here? What would be wrong? Here's another one. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but he who is married cares about the things of the Lord. How's he thinking through this marriage, non-marriage issue in, in 1 Corinthians 7? He's trying to think through it spiritually. You know, what would be sin? That's out of the picture. How can I best serve the Lord? Well, there are advantages to being single. There are differences in being married. That's what he's doing through the whole thing. Why? Because he is trying in all of his ways to acknowledge God. And when you are graduating from high school or graduating from college, there are all different kinds of opportunities in front of you. And when you are 40 years old and 50 years old, there are all kinds of opportunities in front of you. And when you are 60 and 70, there are all kinds of ways that you can live your life. And the Christian is a thoughtful, thinking person who prayerfully is acknowledging those options before God in a daily, structured way and is endeavoring to do something most difficult, is endeavoring to be a servant to a master and thus the Christian is not doing anything rogue on their own with complete license, but the Christian as a servant of the one true living God, the Christian as a child of a heavenly father is acknowledging the leadership in that relationship and seeking counsel, seeking how can I do well, how can I please him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. It's just as comprehensive as the Lord Jesus' counsel, which is a repeat from the law in Deuteronomy and the New Testament. What is the greatest command? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Folks, I want to close this morning by telling you that is the real challenge here.
That is the real challenge. Anybody can stand up and say, I love the Lord a little bit. I trust the Lord to a certain degree. I believe the Bible mostly. It's not worth anything. It's not worth, it not, you hear what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's worth less. I'm saying it's not worth anything. It, Jesus is very specific about this. You know, as a, calls a disciple and the disciple says, okay, but first let me go tend to some other things. And I mean, at one point he says, no, let the dead bury the dead. Don't even go, just come follow me. And then one of the hardest instructions in the New Testament, anyone who doesn't hate father, mother, brother, sister is not worthy to be my disciple. Now, is he calling us to active hatred in our relationships? No, 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 no. He's calling for complete devotion. And apart from complete devotion, you're not worthy to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So this is not, well, I trust Jesus a little bit, and so, you know, I, I, I don't trust him as much as, you know, Pastor Justin. So I might not get all the blessings that Pastor Justin gets, but I trust him a lot, and I'll get a lot of blessing out of that. It doesn't work that way. This is the challenge. Trust the Lord with all your heart. It took full faith for the Lord to go to the cross. <laughs> Not some partial measure. It took full faith for Stephen to stand before a mob and testify as the stones are being thrown to the person of Jesus Christ. Not some partial me measure of it. Whatever God is calling you to in your life, it will take full faith to experience that and it will take full faith to do well with that. And Solomon is talking to his children and he's pleading with them to see more value in that than in figuring things out in light of their own principles and understandings, to simply trust. So I want to call you to that today as well in closing. The caution of the Old Testament is there is a way that seems right unto a man and the way the path therein is destruction, the path therein is death. In another place, the heart is deceptively wicked. Who can know it? And in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus did not entrust himself to men because he knows what is in a man. You don't need to figure your life out. You don't need to figure things out. You don't need time to go and, 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 and line up your, your plot for the next three years. You don't need to look at your bank account and use that as your guiding principle or to look at the age of your children or your loved ones or the health of your husband or wife. You don't need to do that. Do not lean on your own understanding. What you need to do is commit yourself wholeheartedly, 100%, to serving the Lord every day and as a servant, acknowledging Him every day and trusting the result. That's what you need. Salvation is there. Righteousness is there. Gaining favor with God is there. And that's what I would call you to. Paul writes in Romans that everyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God has raised him from the grave 
will be saved. For with the mouth we confess and believe and with the heart our lives are transformed. Repentance, growth. It's time to quit clinging on to obstacles and to try to navigate things on your own. It's time to stop all of that. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Let's close with a word of prayer and then Steve will come forward and lead us in the Lord's Supper. Father, the parts of our lives that we cling to and the secret compartments that we have not unlocked to you, that we don't trust you with because we're afraid of what you might do or what you might require of us if we were open to submitting them to you. Those parts are not secret treasures that we're carefully polishing. They're anchors to our soul. They're dead weight in our lives. They're seed in the ground that's molding and that refuses to flourish. Life comes from you. Joy, peace, love. These come from you. Whatever we're clinging to, whatever is weighing our soul down, it will not flourish apart from you. And whatever flourishing we perceive will be nothing but poison in the end. Father, I ask that you'll cause us to trust you, that your spirit will overwhelmingly work in the hearts of people this morning, that they will surrender control of the wheel, that they'll give up command of their own ship, that they will find gracious contentment in being a servant of the great master. Thank you for your adoption of us. Thank you for looking upon us and bringing us into your family. Thank you for your loving provision as a father and your great patience with us and our obstinance. Help us to surrender and to obey and to embrace life in the simplicity of a child trying to please his or her father. Thank you for the work of Jesus and the forgiveness of our sin. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.